What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the 4040 Vision Podcast. I'm your host, Colette Abdallah, and on today's episode, I invited my good friend, Sajid Khan, to talk all things Oakland A's. Sajid is a Oakland A's diehard and has been a fan of the team for well over 30 years, so I invited him on to talk about some of our favorite memories of the Oakland A's, some of our favorite memories of the Oakland Coliseum, and to share our thoughts on the pending move to Las Vegas. We know that this is a fluid situation, and we're recording this episode on June 6, 2023. There's a lot of hurdles that need to be cleared before the A's actually move to Vegas, but I thought that this was a very pressing topic that I wanted to talk to someone about, and Sajid was a perfect guest for that. Hope you guys enjoy this episode, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on the A's moving to Vegas or anything else related to this podcast. But before we jump in, here's a quick word from one of our sponsors. Sajid, man, thank you so much for hopping on the 4040 Vision podcast with us today to talk about the Oakland A's and the potential move to Las Vegas and all that. But before we jump in, man, how's everything going? Good, brother. Good to be here with you. Uh, Honored to be on this show. Appreciate it. Thanks, man. Uh, So let's, before we jump into the uh, not so good stuff, let's start with some of the, the fun stuff we could talk about. Let's talk about when did you become an A's fan, man? How long ago was this? Because I know you're one, you're one of the diehards that I know. So yeah. when did this start? So I'm an 80s baby. I was born in the early 80s, and I have two older brothers who were big A's fans. And so when I was five, six years old is when the A's were starting that late 80s uh, dynasty where they made three straight World Series and they had this superstar studded team of like Ricky Henderson, Mark McGuire, Jose Canseco, Dave Stewart, uh, Dave Henderson, Ricky Henderson, and Dennis Eckersley. So my fandom really started back then in the late 80s, like 1988, when they lost the Dodgers, and then 89 with the earthquake and beating the Giants in the Bay Bridge series. So those are my memories um, of my Oakland A's, where my Oakland A's fandom started. So it's been over 30, 33 years, you know, 35 years of, okay. of being an A's fan. Um, so it, it, it runs deep in me and in, in my family. It's a kind of become a family fam, family bloodline to be an A's fan. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we both grew up in, in the Bay. We broke, both grew up in the South Bay. So I, I'm always yeah. curious as to why some folks pick the Giants, some folks pick the A's. So obviously I, I picked the A's. I'm wearing my A's hat. So why did yeah. your family, why do you think your family went, the Oakland direction versus San Francisco. Yeah, it's interesting because I am definitely uh, outnumbered amongst my friends. Most of my friends that many of whom you're friends with too are all Giants fans and kind of obnoxiously so, but we, so there's a few, the proud A's fans. And like I said, I think it just roots back to my older brothers, uh, them, them being A's fans, them taking me to the Coliseum. And then Salman, my older, one of my older brothers in particular was just like, head over heels for Jose Canseco. Jose Canseco was like a rock star back then. You know, he was just big and muscular and he hit home runs and he dated Madonna and he was just like larger than life. And so I think because he was drawn to Jose Canseco and then the A's had Ricky Henderson, who was also just a superstar. Um, I think that's what drew us to the A's. And then it didn't, it didn't hurt that they were winning um, in the late eighties. And so it's easy to latch on to a, like a winning team when you're, five, six, seven years old. And, and then uh, it's never, it's never wavered from there. Yeah. I have a, a similar story. I mean, it's, I, I definitely wasn't part of that late eighties era. Right. <laughs> I was born a few years later. 
So for me, it was that early 2000s, you know, the Miguel mm-hmm. Tejada, Eric Chavez, uh, you know, the, the three-headed monster, those those pitchers. That was my yeah. era. That was when I started getting into the A's. And um, it's kind of embarrassing to say, but, like, the reason I really started following them was there was this girl in high school I was really into that <laughs> loved the A's. And she gave me this this Oakland A's pin, like this big button that I would wear on my backpack. And I was like, you know what? If I'm going to talk to her, if I'm going to get to know this girl, I should probably know what I'm talking about. So this was maybe freshman freshman year of high school. So I started really watching. And I think that was the year that they went on the – was it the 24-game win streak? So it was – Yeah, 20-game win streak was in – it was in 2002. Yeah. So, yeah. There so you it go. went so, right around that time. Exactly. So it was either freshman or sophomore year of high school. So it lined up well. You know, I was getting into this team, and they were this lovable bunch of just – you know, you learn later the details behind it with Moneyball and all that stuff and how the team came together. But it was a good time to be an A's fan, just like it was in, in the uh, late 80s for you. So you mentioned your brother loved Jose Canseco. You mentioned Ricky Henderson. Who was your favorite player growing up? Yeah, Ricky Henderson was my favorite. I remember being a Little League baseball player. Ricky Henderson would wear those like kind of wraparound sunglasses. He'd wear these neon green uh, batting gloves, Mizuno batting gloves. And so as a kid... I remember wanting to have those same batting gloves or like similar batting gloves as Ricky Henderson. Um, so yeah, I would say Ricky Henderson was one of, was probably my favorite. Dave Stewart as a pitcher, just because of he was just fierce um, and a winner. And then Dennis Eckersley had such a unique um, uh, pitching motion, and he was the closer. He won MVP, I think MVP and Cy Young in the same year, I think in 1990. And so I was always trying to replicate his pitching motion. So those are probably the fir- the the three that I grew up loving the most. Of course, big Mark McGuire was was amazing to watch, and and um, and then later on, I gravitated towards Miguel Tejada as a shortstop, and I really loved uh, watching him play. And then over the years, you know, different players have come through: Jonas Jonas Espedes and Chris Bassett, oh, and yeah, a bunch of. Um, you know, players over the years that I have grown to love only to see leave, which we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about as we as we continue the conversation. Yeah, that's part of the Ace fan experience. I mean, for me, it was, uh, like I said, a, that era for me was Miguel Tejada. I think he won MVP that one, one of those years. He did. Um, yep. And Eric Chavez, of course, Johnny Damon. But definitely those two guys, Eric Chavez and, and Miguel Tejada, probably my, my top two. And, of course, they they left just like everybody else. And yep. I mean, that was I think it's it's really sad to say, right? It's just that's just part of the A's experience. Like, do you remember when that started happening, when it became this was the norm that this guy like, you know, you Cespedes or any of these other guys would go yeah. from no names to stars with the A's and then they'd go sign a you know, 300 million dollar contract or whatever with with uh, the Yankees or the Red Sox. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't the story in the late 80s, early 90s, because the A's were the one of the premier franchises. Like when you talk about NBA teams creating super teams now, like the A's were doing that. They were the ones acquiring, you know, the big name um, players at the trade deadlines or like Dave Parker was like a former MVP that the A's added as a as a DH or Harold Baines, who's now a Hall of Famer. And then they, they got Dave Henderson, Ricky Henderson. This is all before your time, but these, these were premier superstar players that the A's were bringing in and keeping and um, into the 90s. And then I think there was an ownership change in the late 90s. And so the A's kind of took a huge step back. 
And then they had this new era of winning, which is the era you're t- you came into, which is the late 90s, early 2000s. And so my first memory... That was like the Moneyball era, right? Yeah, the Moneyball era. And my first memory of, of like the, the new reality of being an A's fan is when Jason Giambi left. Like that was so heartbreaking. Like the Jason Giambi was homegrown. He was drafted by the A's. He was just, he had so much swagger and he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated and he won MVP and he was like our premier, you know, steroid fueled <laughs> hitter. And then, he was like our, and then our they, Mark McGuire, like our late. Yeah, he was know, our, that generation of Mark McGuire. McGuire. Yeah, exactly. And then he led us to the playoffs only for us to lose to the Yankees. And then that following summer, he leaves the Yankees. And Marshall I remember his brother, right? <laughs> Rest in peace, may you rest yeah, in peace. Yeah, that's true. That play. Well, his brother actually stayed after mm-hmm. Jason left. Yeah. And Jeremy was still on the team. Um, but he leaves the Yankees, and that was the first kind of big domino where it's like, wait, we can't afford or we're not going to choose to keep our biggest name players, and we're going to kind of be on the be, be in this money ball, you know, play on the margins, you know, shell game type baseball team, which was – kind of cool because the A's were these lovable kind of underdogs and they were always in it to win it. Um, But it was hard because you just, every year there was roster turnover and you couldn't get used to any particular player being on the team the next year. Every person was subject to a trade or the possibility of leaving. And so you just got used to rooting for the uh, whatever, what do they say? The name on the front of the jersey, not on the back, you know? So, yeah, and you captured it really well where you said it was kind of cool because, of course, it's the Moneyball era. You're like, oh, we're, especially when I was younger, I didn't really understand why they were doing this. And that's the fact that it was an ownership choice to be cheap. Yeah. So it was almost like a badge of honor, like, oh, we've got the, you know, bottom five payroll and in the league, but we're still winning the AL West. Or, you know, I remember they would always be known for making these like deadline day moves basically yeah. to bring in guys yeah. that were about to expire your contracts were going to expire and they would fall out for us and of course leave. But it, yeah, it just became part of the experience. Like you fall in love with these guys. I think the, the, the last one for me that I really fell in love with was Jonas Cespedes where he yeah. was just, you know, La Potencia, I think was his nickname. Right. And he was just, <laughs> again, this larger than life type figure. He looked like an NFL running back more than a, a baseball player. And he was just, and then he won the home run derby so, yeah, it's just – I think after that, I learned to let go a little more because there's just all right. these other guys before it, and it's just the hits, hits kept coming. Tejada goes to Baltimore. Johnny Damon goes to the Red Sox. I think Eric Chavez went to Arizona. I don't, there's just so many of them. And I think the – Yeah, the one, Eric Chavez was the one they actually signed to a long-term yeah. deal, um, but then he – Unfortunately, didn't he kind of got injured during that time, and so it actually his he didn't really pay off relative mm-hmm. to his contract. But yeah, everyone else that you've mentioned eventually left, and then yeah. it just became the the norm uh, for the team to always either be they wouldn't even let guys go to free agency; they would trade them before they get to free agency in a way to like restock their system and turn one player into three or four. And they'd always take gambles on these old aging superstars. So they they brought in like Mike Piazza, Hideki Matsui. If you remember, Frank Thomas came in. Yeah, I do. Um, yeah. And sometimes they'd hit big. Frank, mm-hmm. They hit big with Frank Thomas. But they would always take chances on like the old aging guy to see. Even they brought Jason Giambi back later uh, to see if they could take like one last run, you know, with, with this guy's talent. So, yeah, it, it was it was interesting. But then 
we'll talk about it in a few minutes about what's changed now. It's it's, yeah. a, it's a different era now, even relative to those eras. The, the Moneyball era is now over. <laughs> it's a new, and, it's and a that's whole new era. I think what, yeah. the one that really hurt me, the another one that really was when Barry Zito went to the Giants. I, <laughs> yeah, that one was tough, especially because he went to the Giants. I think more so than than anything yeah. else. You know, I know he didn't work out too well there, but he went. You know, well, he won a World Series for them, so or he helped them win a World Series. Yeah, yep. so it worked out for him. Uh, so I wanted to ask you, what was your the favorite your favorite moment that you witnessed live? It doesn't have to be. Uh, could be in person, could be just on TV. Uh, so which what do you wh- which one do you recall from uh, the glory days? Yeah, yeah. So um, the first memory that came to mind when you when you sent me that question was uh, the, the nineteen eighty nine uh, World Series um, game one of the World Series. I remember. So I would have been like six and a half, seven years old, coming home from school. Um, excited to watch the the game one of the Bay Bridge World Series against the Giants and then the earthquake happening. Like I remember where I was, I was in my mom's bedroom, like ready to watch the World Series when the earthquake happened. And then me being more concerned as a six and a half, seven year old about the game than I was about like the earthquake and what kind of impact it had on our, on the Bay Area, you know, in terms of all the devastation. And I remember, I remember the, the TV screen going like static for a while and then they they switched over to Roseanne like an episode of Roseanne for some reason like like a rerun so i remember that um and like i said being really annoyed that the game wasn't going on um so that was my first like significant memory of being an A's fan uh, watching on tv um and then later the memories i remember um i looked it up it was the year 2000 the a's won the al west on the last game of the world of the series of the season in yeah. uh, 2000 i remember being in mount davis up top so the thing about being an a's fan at the coliseum after the raiders came back is that mount davis was erected and if you sat up there for baseball you actually couldn't see the back half of the outfield yeah because i've of sat the up there a couple of, times yeah <laughs> so it's kind of a useless seat you might as well be watching on tv um but i remember being there up in mount davis when jason isringhausen struck out like a texas ranger to win the 2000 al west championship that was really exciting um then you know we all know from moneyball the a's would go to the playoffs but they would lose um but then in 2006, they made the playoffs and they beat the Minnesota Twins in the wild card round. That was exciting. Mark Kotze, who's now the A's manager, hit an inside the park home run against the Twins. Uh, I remember that. But then I, I went subsequently to the ALCS, uh, two games at the Coliseum against the Tigers. They lost both those games. I eventually went like oh for my next five in A's playoff games attended. Um, people will tell me not to go anymore, but I, I couldn't, I can't help myself sometimes. So, um, those are some of the memories that come to mind. I, you, we have some mutual friends like Rehan Daher and Farhan Dani. We once braved like a, I think an 18 inning game at the Coliseum, like that went, uh, till past midnight, like 1230. Um, the A's won, um, Jamile Weeks, like hit a walk off. So that was another memory that comes to mind. So a lot of games at the Coliseum, a lot of fun times there. Um, uh, and then also lots of games watching at home. Um, yeah, I was yeah. a new dad in 2012 um, when they made that epic run and they won the AL West in the last two days of the season against the Rangers. And so I remember like holding Suleiman, our newborn, watching the A's, like that all happening at once was pretty special. So 
Yeah, a lot of memories over the years. I mean, I think we have a lot of the same ones, at least in terms of, of TV. I didn't go to too many games growing up, but as I got a little bit older, I was able to go to more games. Um, you know, the 20-game the win streak, that was one of my early memories oh, yeah. as a fan. Uh, of course, the playoff heartbreaks. And then um, I actually had my bachelor party at the Coliseum. Oh, nice. <laughs> so we got like a, a... At the last dive bar, they yeah. call it, right? The Coliseum. <laughs> you know, this was 10 years ago, so it wasn't quite so bad, but it was a, you know, quote unquote luxury suite. Um, and we got like, you know... <laughs> a, awesome. Yeah, it was pretty cool. It was, it was a lot of fun. We got a, a full spread. There was maybe 12 of us there. We had a good time. Watched, uh, I think dope. they beat the Tigers. I want to say it was a walk-off uh, game. So it was, it was a lot of, it was exciting. Um, and then I went to a playoff game later that year. I think it was against the the Tigers. Um, that was mm-hmm. Cespedes. Is not maybe not his last year, but the year before last. Um, they yeah. ended up losing that series, but it was a lot of fun yeah. just being there and being in that atmosphere. And of course, just the random games you would go and you just sit in the bleachers and you'd feel the vibes of the Coliseum. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you remember what year what they were doing the Bernie Lean? Was that 2013? The Bernie Lean, yeah, that was like, yeah, 20, yeah, 2013, uh, Coco Crisp was on the team. That was the team he was on. Yeah, 2012, 2013, 2014. Yeah. Yeah, so so that was was another memory, just going to the games that year and everybody's doing the same dance. It was just like a lot of fun. It was a very true to like Oakland type vibe. And I think what makes the A's fan experience very unique was the Coliseum. I think it's Mm -hmm. was the last you know, shared usage, uh, NFL, MLB stadium. Uh, what was your favorite thing or maybe your least favorite thing about the, the Coliseum experience? It's a place that you love to hate, you know, it's like, and you know, it's, it's like one of those places where no one else is allowed to talk shit about it, but we are, you know, it's like our, it's our, dump. Uh, our home. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> our dumb. And, um, so before I go to that, like actually one other memory is that that 20th game that Scott Hatterberg walk off in t- 2002, um, I actually tried to go to. I was a student at Berkeley at the time. Me and a group of guys drove over to the Coliseum to get tickets to go watch that game. It was sold out and we couldn't even get tickets, you know, like secondhand tickets. So then we we were there like for the first couple innings and then we drove back to Berkeley and then we ended up watching it on TV. So that was actually another memory like of of the Coliseum. Can you imagine um, that it was sold out? Like those words, <laughs> like Oakland A's yeah, sold I mean, out. Yeah, once upon a that, time. I mean, we'll talk about it. You know, in terms of the A's fandom, like there, there is a huge A's yeah. fan base that shows up and that cares. Um, and so that was part of the Coliseum experience. The drums, the crowd. You know, anytime you go to the Coliseum, we would draw like let's say ten thousand, twelve thousand people. I will never, um, I will never, you know, concede that. Those A's fans, 10,000 A's fans were louder than 45,000 fans anywhere else, like at the uh, Pac Bell Park or any other stadium. Like that was the experience of being an A's fan, like the let's go Oakland chants and um, sitting like with multiple seats around. But then it being so loud, like even the players, I think, knew that, that there was like a fan base that was really locked into the games and the drums and the chants. Of course, coming on BART and walking on across the overpass, like buying a $5 T-shirt um, and then coming into the Coliseum, you know, getting your cheap cotton candy and like nachos or, or soda. RC Cola is the only place that I've seen it on tap. <laughs> so the RC Cola the ex- is just perfect. 
Yeah. You know, <laughs> I don't, it's just this generic, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you can find it anywhere else. But that, that BART overpass, <clears throat> I mean, you talk to A's fans, you talk to Raiders fans, even Warriors fans. It was just, it's legendary. That BART overpass yeah. after a win, it's just the right. most hype place. Everyone's chanting yeah. and singing and the the t-shirts i miss those t-shirts man i like yeah at one point like half my like pajamas rotation was just in gym rotation <laughs> it was just these five dollar bootleg t-shirts but what was your least favorite thing about the coliseum i think i can guess, i mean just but... just how shitty it was i mean it's just a shitty place uh, and it and no one cared to do anything about it every every year it got you know, exponentially worse. And the, the place was exactly the same. Like you could go there in 2000 and the same seats are still there right now in 2023, like the stained concrete, you know, the Mount Davis is really ruined the Coliseum, honestly. Like, you know, I know you're a Raiders fan, but Mount Davis really fucked up the place because before it used to have like a, a view of the Oakland Hills and the sun it was would picturesque. China. It was beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And even the the format of the stadium, like the bleachers, was not all jagged and weird as it is now. And then, um, so Mount Davis really messed things up. And all the there were certain seats now. There are certain seats now that the sight lines you can't even see the whole field. And so I think like that really messed with the place. And then the like I said, the the unwillingness of whoever runs the Coliseum or Oakland A's ownership to truly invest in the stadium experience, you know, like new bathrooms, um, you know, wider walkways, better, better um, concession stands. Like it's been the same and there has been no, they have just shat on their fan base and said like, we don't really care about your experience. And then the mm-hmm. prices have gone up despite the product getting worse. And so that's my least favorite part of the Coliseum experience is just like the insult that it feels like when you walk in there. Um, because, you know, we all have other places where we can be spending our hard earned money. And like, I just found it insult. I find it increasingly insulting that that's how someone like me or you who've been fans and have poured ourselves into this team can be treated. And, um, so yeah, that's probably the worst part of it is just like, all of what I did outlined just now. Yeah. And you captured it perfectly. You said the, the Coliseum didn't change. It was, it's like a time capsule. I don't know about now, but I remember I went to a Raiders game in 2014 we were in the club suite. So like a club section. So not quite a luxury suite, but in the nicer seats and they still had tube TVs in right. uh, like the bar area in 2014. Right. <laughs> so right. I was like, this TV is probably from 1997 and it's still up there above the bar you know, showing it was just it's crazy. And then, of course, the bathrooms, that's got to be the worst. I don't know if they've upgraded yeah, the bathrooms, but they had. No, that. they have not. It's that fucking trough yeah. bathroom. <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> just filthy. And then, you know, that's like it's the, the probably the worst place to be in the city of Oakland is <laughs> the bathrooms in the Coliseum, yeah. you know, at halftime or between innings or something. But so you brought up the fact that the ownership has kind of completely abandoned the the Coliseum, any concept of, of renewing it, and they've abandoned the fans. But so how closely have you been following the situation just in general? Because I remember growing up, it always seemed like they were looking for somewhere else to go. So this was in the, the 2000s. They were looking at 
San Jose at um, Fremont, I think like South Fremont, Milpitas area. Yep. So do you remember when they shifted gears from somewhere else in the Bay area to Las Vegas and how closely have you been following this uh, situation? Yeah. I mean, I, I've been following along just like every other A's fan in terms of like reading the headlines and, and just the never ending saga of the Oakland A's stadium, you know, like you mentioned the possibility of them coming to San Jose and there being some plans for that only for that to be kind of thwarted by the giants and their territorial rights. And then, and then, like you mentioned, there being a mock-up of a stadium in Fremont and then these multiple versions of potential stadium sites in Oakland. Um, and I just became I became quite jaded uh, about the whole thing. I just don't I never believed that it would actually happen until I saw like a shovel in the ground somewhere and a stadium actually being built. And it was only made more frustrating because you saw stadiums popping up everywhere else in the state of California. But. Oakland, like the Niners got their stadium, the earthquakes, the Giants down in L.A., the Rams and, you know, the um, the the Padres in San Diego. And then um, and even in Sacramento, they have the new Golden Golden One Chase Center and then the Warriors built the new Chase Center, whatever, Golden One in Center in Sacramento and then Chase Center in, in San Francisco. So just like it just became really I just stopped. I kind of ignored the headlines in many ways but had actually took some comfort that the A's ownership seemed to be, you know, invested in finding a site in Oakland. They had that whole campaign of rooted in Oakland and they, they were going on promotional tours talking about how invested they were in Oakland. So I actually believed that they were going to do something here. And then all of a sudden this in the past several months, like you would hear murmurs about Vegas, but I didn't really believe them. And then now in the past several months, they've been so brazen and public about it. It's not even, they're not even hiding their disdain for Oakland or their kind of appetite for Vegas. And what put me over the edge, and I think what prompted you to message me was that they had the audacity to put it out on their own Instagram. So like the the yep, new stadium <laughs> plan for Las Vegas. And it, I was so insulted by that because Literally, these are your thousands and perhaps millions of followers on Instagram that are devoted to the Oakland A's. You were not Las Vegas A's fans. And then here you are putting up like, hey, we're moving to Las Vegas on your own Instagram. So I actually unfollowed the A's account that day. Um, and we'll talk about this in a second. But that was the first time where it became like real, real that the A's were not going to invest here in Oakland and that whole rooted in Oakland you know, campaign was bullshit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I think even on that, the, the whole route in Oakland thing, I, uh, Mark Davis, the owner of the A's, he spoke about it and he said that, you know, when they were trying, when the Raiders were trying to find a new home in Oakland, they were trying to work with the A's, but A's ownership was not interested. They were, I think they were going to try to, you know, either renovate the Coliseum or do something where they would have a shared, another shared site. But the, the A's, kind of stuck their nose up at the at the Raiders and said, no, we don't want to work with you. We're going to do our own thing. I think at the time they were looking at developing something at Jack London Square or some yeah. other places around the Bay Area. And, of course, as soon as the Raiders are getting ready to leave, the A's put on the whole rooted in Oakland thing. And they it's, you know, that whole bullshit campaign where they're saying like, oh, well, the Raiders are leaving, but we're still going to be here. And yeah. 
I think even as a, you know, even if they're not the Oakland A's, as long as they're in California, I think it, you know, as long as they're in the Bay Area, even Sacramento, I would have understood. Yeah, Sacramento would work. I'd be okay. I'd be good with that. Yeah, I mean, I think all the East Bay fans, like the deep East Bay fans, Walnut Creek, Dublin, like all those folks that come to Oakland, I think they maybe wouldn't be as as excited about driving out to Sacramento, but I think they still would here and there. And I think you'd still maintain some of that fan base. But of course, the decision to move to Las Vegas and we're recording this on June 6th. I think there's some deadlines coming up with the stadium plan. It all just seems so helter skelter. Like there seems to be no real plan in place by the A's. They're just hoping for a ton of government funding from Las Vegas, from Nevada. So it's just, it's, it's been really messy. And of course, as, as a Raiders fan, I experienced the same exact thing with the Raiders moving to, to Las Vegas. So, I mean, when you look at this, who do you think takes the lion's share of the blame? I mean, is it ownership? Is it the city of Oakland? Is it kind of a partnership? Cause I think with the A with the Raiders, I think it was probably mostly on the Raiders and them wanting to move and having, wanting to get, almost a billion dollars in, in free money to build their stadium. But in the case of the A's, like who do you think is, is most responsible for this? Yeah, my, my, I've lost trust in the A's ownership over the years, given everything that we've you know outlined and their unwillingness to really invest in the, in the product on the field and then the stadium. And so I, my, my blame goes towards the A's management and ownership um, my, I just believe that if there's a will that, you know, when it comes to these stadiums, there's a way you see all these other ownership groups, you know, just willing their way into stadiums um, across the state, as we mentioned. And so um, I also don't know what city politics are like, but I, I, I know that the city of Oakland, you know, has to be invested in, in wanting to keep at least one of their professional teams and the A's being kind of the most iconic and the and the longest standing um, tenant for the city of Oakland. So, uh, yeah, I blame the the ownership. I do believe that if they really wanted to, they could probably just buy the Oakland Coliseum site and build right there. It would be the most fiscally and kind of practically sound decision to make because it's 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 a ready to use stadium site and. Uh, so that's where my I, I I just don't trust the A's ownership, and so therefore they get the brunt of my of my ire right now. No, I think you're spot on. I mean, you mentioned all the other stadiums that got built and some of the the creativity that was on display, like the the Warriors. They partnered with Mark Benioff and the City of San Francisco, which is like notorious for not allowing new development. Somehow they pushed it through. They they spent a ton of their own money. They own that building, so they're gonna. It's basically like a cash cow. Now, because they yeah. every date that's there, every event that's there, they're making a ton of money. Uh, the Niners, I believe, they financed it through the sale of PSLs, so they were super creative. They didn't just ask for a ton of money from the city of Santa Clara. I mean, they've had their own issues with the city there, but they were still able to push it through. And there's so many yeah. other examples. I'm I'm not sure. I think the Giants did something similar, where they financed it themselves and worked with the city. So. I know the the city of Oakland, like you said, they they are involved in it, and city politics are always messy. But they have other priorities. They, I'm sure they want to keep the A's. I'm sure they want to keep this prestigious name and the franchise and the money that comes in, but not at the expense of you know other priorities in the city. So right. And these guys are billionaires. The owners, if they wanted to build it, it doesn't even have to be on, on that site. You don't need a big footprint for a baseball stadium. It's not a yeah. seventy thousand seat 
NFL, uh, you know, arena or whatever, it's a much smaller footprint. You can figure it out. They just don't want to. And like you said, they're insulting the fans uh, by doing so. And I mean, what has changed in the way that the team has been built? Because we talked about early in the Moneyball days, they were still being competitive, even though they had a smaller yeah. payroll. It seemed like they they were still interested in being competitive. Because I'm looking at the list of the, the MLB payrolls. They're at 60 million, which is bottom of the league by about 10, 15 million. But even the teams around them are still competitive. Like the Rays are near yeah. the bottom, the Orioles, they're still close to the top of the AL. I think the, the Rays are leading the AL. So what changed? What did they do in the last couple of years where they just stop being competitive you know it's it's um it's the movie um major league come to real come to life um because yeah every time so we talked about all the players especially like the post 2000 players that the a's have traded or let go um so you talked about Johannes espedes and you know there have been um other guys that they have traded only to bring back like three four pieces of talent that were major league ready that then made their team they gave their team more depth and actually made them better in some ways and you can always see the intention behind their trades like you can say oh they're still they traded their best player but they're still trying to compete whereas this last cycle so the uh, two years ago actually what is it the pandemic year 2020 they made the playoffs they beat the uh, White Sox in the first round of the playoffs, they had a team of Matt Chapman, Matt Olson, Sean Murphy, uh, Chris Bassett, Sean Manaya, and the list goes on. And that was a competitive team, a young team. It was going to get increasingly expensive, but they were going to become increasingly good. All those guys are still, you know, arguably, you know, all-star type players in the in the league right now. They made one more run in 2021. They fell a little short of the playoffs. And then they decided to just pull the plug. And they traded every one of those players. They let Bob Melvin go as a manager who was the all-time winningest manager in Oakland A's history. And they did not seem to be interested in being competitive. Like they traded for a bunch of single-A pitchers and you know minor league players, some of whom were not even highly ranked and so it's it, it didn't even seem like they were being competitive in who they were seeking out in trade packages and then they they have just fielded a non-competitive team and it seems to be i guess a cost savings measure just to like completely bottom out completely alienate the fan base then turn the blame towards the fan base and say hey well look the fans aren't showing up and that's why we need to move when really it's like a self-sabotaging move to drive fans like me away. Like I will not go back to the Coliseum right now. I will not spend a dollar to support the team. And then they might argue, well, because people like Sajid are not coming, that's why we need to move to Vegas. Well, when it's bullshit, because I was willing to show up when the team ownership was at least trying to compete. And I don't, I don't have confidence in that anymore because of these recent moves. They've completely bottomed out in every way. And it's, um, it's a real joke and it's an embarrassment to the league. It's an embarrassment to the franchise. And that's been the big talk is they're embarrassing the league by bottoming out in a pretty historically unprecedented way. I looked this up. I'll share, share a couple stats with you, but it's just, it's been so embarrassing for MLB that they're letting this happen. And at the same time, they're talking about, 
handing them basically a free pass to Las Vegas where they can rebuild and, you know, likely be competitive because they'll actually be spending. And that's the great irony of this is growing up, especially during the Moneyball era, where we were taught or we thought that the A's were a small market team, which they're not. They're across the water from the San Francisco Giants, who are one of the biggest spenders in in the league. And this is not a small market. This is not Kansas City or Tampa or something like that. This is one of the wealthiest areas in the country with probably more, you know, millionaires and billionaires per capita than like anywhere else in America, you know, outside of maybe DC. So it's just, they're purposely competing with one hand tied behind their back and, but they were still competitive, which like you said, that's why people like you, people like me, were still showing up. You know, we kind of knew like, oh, they're a small market team, but not really, but at least they're trying and they're competitive and they're fun and all that. And they have these young players that are always exciting, but this is, the way that they've gone or the way that they've constructed this roster and the way that, like I said, is, is historically unprecedented, this losing. So according to the site I looked up, it's called Champs or Chumps. The A's are currently having the third worst season of all time in terms of winning percentage. Okay. So that's, uh, I mean, it's not, you know, total games because I think there it's been 60 games and they're 12 and 50. So. Right. The worst team was the Cleveland Spiders in 1899. <laughs> that went 20 and 134. Team doesn't exist anymore. The Pittsburgh Alleghenies, which I think became the Pirates, went 23 and 113 in 1890. And of course, if the A's continue on this pace, there will be like 30 and 132, something like that. You know, Jesus, that's wild. Yeah, they will have the fourth worst record of all time behind the St. Louis Browns in 1897. So if you look at this, and I, I don't see them winning more than, I don't know, 30, 40 games, they will reach a level of historic ineptitude that we haven't seen in like 120 years, 130 yeah. years. You know, and it's it just speaks to, like you said, it's the plot of Major League come to life. It's these owners just completely shitting on the fans. And I think it's kind of working because people are talking about, I feel like in the, in the, the national media, I feel like they're talking about, oh, look how empty the fan, the, the, the stands are. Right. Why aren't people right. showing up? You know, I know there's yeah. a lot of uh, like underground fan movements of people trying to, to show up to games wearing cell T-shirts and things like that. So, I mean, do you think that the tide is turning in the national conversation a little bit to expose what's happening there? I mean, yeah, just, you know, in terms of my Instagram, Twitter feed and some of the national uh, major league writers uh, out there, they're definitely um, been taking to – um, their platforms and have been exposing um, the embarrassment that is the A's ownership and management right now um, and really pointing the finger at them as opposed to the fan base or the lack of resources, purported resources in the Bay Area. So, yeah, I do I do sense that it's changing because especially if you listen to like a show like PTI with Tony Kornheiser and Michael Wilbon, those guys are like old school baseball, uh, baseball sports writers and they know exactly about the historical importance of a team like the A's, you know, like from the 70s into the 80s, into the 90s. And then so they even talk about on their show um, how embarrassing the A's have become. And it's important because of how high the A's have been historically. So, it's, um, so yeah, I do think the tide is turning. I'm not completely out on the possibility of the tides shifting and 
Major League Baseball or public opinion forcing the um, forcing the A's management to sell the team to a local ownership group that may or may not include like Joe Lakeup or someone like that from the Warriors, and then the A's actually ultimately staying here in Oakland for the reason for one of the reasons that you described, which is look, Oakland is a cash cow. Like all the young millionaires and professionals, they don't necessarily even want to live in the city. They want to go live in Oakland. Like Oakland is like the kind of the hipper place to be. Um, there's so much money in the East Bay. There's so much money in the Bay. It would be kind of unwise, I think, long-term for a team to leave Oakland. Um, and whereas it would be a really significant investment for a, for an ownership group to keep the team here and really invest in the fan base here. I mean, yeah, I understand the appeal of, of Las Vegas as a, as a media market. It's, it's growing like crazy. They got a, a, a hockey team in the Stanley cup finals. The Raiders are there, they have WNBA team, et cetera. But it's just, it's hard to understand the thought process behind leaving behind Oakland and everything that you talked about with the money here and all the money in the East Bay. And it's just, it, it boggles the mind really to, to, to see that thought process play out. So yeah, I want to talk about a couple of hypothetical scenarios. So I think you, you said you're completely out on the A's, but you might be tempted to come back in. So if this, this current ownership group, this Las Vegas thing doesn't work out and they stay in the Bay area for, if they open a new stadium, whatever, I know that's unlikely at this point, but would you come back to the A's in that scenario? Yeah. I'm, you know, it's, it's like a, a bit of a, a like a, well, I don't, it, it's they're they're in our, in my bloodlines and they're there. It's a, like I said, it's a family tradition for us to be A's fans. I pat uh, from, it's been passed down to me from my brothers down to my younger sister. And then to my boys, we are, we're, we're an A's family. Um, and so I want to be an A's fan. I want to, I want to be able to come home and watch A's games. I want to spend like Saturday and Sunday afternoons at a A's game, not the Coliseum. Um, and I want to be able to sit in the sun and enjoy baseball. Like I, I miss, I miss that this year. Like, but I won't, I also have a certain level of pride and that's why I am self-respect, which is why I'm not, you know, watching the games or going to games this season. But if, yeah, if, if the tide shift, I definitely would come back and I would put my A's, many A's hats back on and um, go out to hopefully a new stadium um, and sit in the sun and spend my money and eat some cotton candy and watch some ball. Yeah, like I, that's it would be, make me so happy to be able to do that and to share that with my boys and, and family. Yeah, without a doubt. So then the, the other scenario, if they end up in Las Vegas and they become the Las Vegas A's, are you still an A's fan? Do you pick another team or do you just back up? I don't think I'm an A's fan. I mean, of course, I'll watch with curiosity from a distance, um, you know, but I I just, like I said, I have a modicum of self-respect and pride and I, I just feel so insulted. Um, you know, I, I like we've talked about, I've been an A's fan for 35 years and, and poured of my heart and my wallet into this team and into the franchise and for them to completely turn their back um, on me and so many others like me. I, I don't think that I would be able to kind of, what's, you know, uh, withstand that. And so, no, I don't think I'd, I'd stay an A's fan. Of course they'll, they'll still hold like a special place in my heart, but I don't not, 
not under the current ownership group and not if they're playing somewhere else, like especially in a, mm-hmm. you know out of state. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm a Raiders fan, so I'm I can sympathize with both aspects of that. I think it's just a little bit different with the Raiders, right? They're yeah, they they are an Oakland team, but I mean, they started in Oakland, but they were in LA, then they came back, and they left. It's not as right. deeply rooted. I mean, you know, we can talk about rooted in Oakland and how much that campaign was BS, but the the thought behind it is is solid, right? The idea behind yeah. it of this is the Oakland team, even though even the Warriors, right? They were in SF, then they came to Oakland, and they went back. So, you know, uh, the A's have been there since what the mid early seventies, early sixties, like a late sixties, yeah, yeah, so yeah. late sixties, about when the Raiders were were founded. So they've been there for so long and just to turn your back on all that legacy and, and heritage is, is really uh, upsetting, but I can understand why you would not root for them, but I would also understand why someone would still root for them. But like for the Raiders, yeah. it's like their brand is the Raiders. It doesn't matter right. where they are. They could be in San Antonio. Like they talked about at some point, they could be in Sacramento. They'd still be the Raiders, but for the A's it's Oakland first. And yeah. that's, that's the thing. And, um, I talked to uh, one of our buddies who's uh, the, the CMO of the Oakland Roots soccer team. Mm. And he talked about their, their campaign and their slogan is Oakland first, Oakland always. And because mm. I think they understand the heritage and the, the, the fan base and all that that comes along with Oakland. And we talked a little bit about uh, their relationship with the A's and how they're kind of the antithesis of what the A's are doing right now because they're investing. They're trying to build community. They're doing all that. And the A's have just turned their back on all of that. Yeah. So, I mean, if they do move to Vegas, do you foresee them being competitive again? Do you think? Because uh, I think some of the competitive advantage they had with Moneyball is gone, right? Everybody's doing Moneyball to an extent, right? Right. So, but how do you see that panning out for them if it happens? I don't know. You know, it's 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 hard to recover from this level of losing. I, I, you know, once you establish, you know, you and I have played competitive sports and we went to the same high school and, you know, you establish, we, 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 unfortunately we both played on some really poor, poorly coached and, you know, struggling football teams in high school. It's hard to recover from that level and that sort of culture of losing. Like it really requires complete overhaul of a culture. It's not just about pouring money into it. It's about like changing the culture. And so I don't know, I, you know, once you've bottomed out in the way that you've described in this historical way, it's going to take years and years for them to climb back out, especially in baseball, you know, progress in baseball moves very slowly. It starts with your minor league systems and things like that. So I'm, I'm skeptical, um, you know, unless there is new ownership, new management, that comes in and really does like a complete overhaul and changes the culture of the franchise, then I, you know, you can, I can't foresee how you can go from being historically inept, like the way they are now to turning it around just because you get a new stadium. Like that's not how things work in my, in my view. Yeah. Maybe in the NBA where you talk about like the, the Sixers and the process, they sucked really bad for a few years, but even them, like they're, they're a contender, but there's still that like, that stench of this unprecedented yeah. historical taking, you know, that's, that's still yeah. hanging over the team. I mean, maybe now it's right head coach and stuff, but yeah, it's still there. It's lingering the yeah. odor. It's, it's dissipating a little bit because there's always in the playoffs. They're like a top three, four seed, but it's still there. 
and yeah. it's, it, it doesn't go away. And of course, baseball is is a much different sport when it comes the, to that. The, the 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 flip side is the the Astros, Houston Astros. You know, cheating scandal aside, they did bottom out for several years, if you remember, and they got a bunch of top ten picks, and that became like Alex Bregman and Carlos Correa, and they hit on all these guys, and then they have become one of the premier um, franchises. And so, you know, there is that scenario, but yeah, the Sixers came to mind is that it seems to be, there seems to be a ceiling to who the Sixers are based, you know, and it just kind of, and maybe it's that losing culture that they, um, that that kind of ran through them for so many years. So we'll, we'll see what comes of the A's, uh, uh, um, you know, but then again, we've, we talked about in this whole podcast, like the A's have been a historically winning franchise. And so, but, you know, so we can get there. Just uh, I think we need some new new management. Absolutely. And I think we can we can both agree that uh, the turnaround is there. They can do it. And hopefully it's it's in, if not Oakland, at least the Bay Area and under new ownership and a new uh, you know ownership group. And one that yeah. actually respects the fans that they have and appreciates the level of adoration and dedication that these fans have showed and you know, maybe one day we'll be sitting in, I don't know, Jack London Square or something in the bleachers, right. you know, enjoying a hot dog and watching a winning baseball team again. So yeah. thanks. Uh, thanks for hopping on. Si. Dream. Yeah. yeah, my pleasure. Great thanks. to be here. Thanks. Thanks again to Sajid for hopping on the podcast to talk about a topic that, as you can tell, is very near and dear to our hearts. And we hope that the Oakland A's and the ownership group and Major League Baseball all come to their senses and make the right thing by staying in the Bay Area, whether that's by selling the team, building a new uh, arena or stadium in the Bay Area, and just sticking by the fans that have stood so firm with this team for 50, 60 years. We hope you guys enjoyed this episode, and please make sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening, and make sure to follow us on all the major social media platforms at 4040VisionPod. As always, we appreciate you guys for every listen, every view, every click. And thanks for tuning in. Peace out, y'all.